Yo, what's going on, y'all? It's your boy So So, in case you ain't no so, and welcome back to another dope episode of Sports with So So. Coming to you live, y'all. This week, the Heat take a commanding 3-1 lead in the series against the Bucks, thanks to Jimmy Butler. Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia delivers some excellent punches and a brutal knockout. And the Marlins win another series on their way to being above 500. It's time to take a ride, y'all. Let's go! What's going on, my G? Today's officially Jimmy Butler Day, dog. Mark it down in the in the history books. Today's Jimmy Butler Day, dog. Shouldn't it be last night? Shouldn't it be the 24th? Or nah, the nah. It, it can't be yesterday. It can't be the day of the game because, like, you need to commemorate the next day. You know what I mean? Like, today is in remembrance of what happened the previous day. Um, but before we get to all of that, I want to know how you're doing, dog. Everything straight with you, my dog? Good, bro. Like, nice good. hat. Thank you, bro. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm 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 back. I'm back in in all facets, celebrating and supporting the teams. I got my Jimmy Butler jersey on. I got my Panthers hat on. I'm ready to rock and roll, kid. How are you? I'm doing great, man. You definitely are ready to rock and roll. You're definitely repping the home teams today. Um, even though the Panthers are almost out of it, you know what I mean. But it was expected, right? Uh, facing the number one seed, Boston Bruins. Hasn't been easy for them. Actually, down three to one right now. Actually, I was actually surprised that they even won a game this series. You I know agree. what I mean? Um, which which just you know shows how good the Panthers can be when they're clicking on all cylinders. But this series hasn't really gone their way. Lost the first game three one. Won the second game six three. Lost the two next games by a total score of ten to four. Like it hasn't been pretty for this panthers team and um they got a lot of questions to deal with in the offseason you know what i mean they definitely have a lot of questions to deal with in the offseason but um we're here for it let's see if the panthers can can steal another victory against the bruins they're actually playing tonight i believe <clears throat> excuse me they're playing tonight and it's um this is tuesday recording and it should be an interesting game right should be an interesting game um for the heat we we got to talk about this game, dog. We got to talk about this I game. I know you've been dying to, so just Bro. to recap, you know, since the last time we met, the Heat were uh, up in the last week. They were tied 1-1. One one. We took the first game over there in Milwaukee. They smashed. It's the second game. Then we came back home, game three. Yes, and game three was a, a real important game because, like, anybody who's watched NBA playoffs before knows that the team that wins – Game three usually gives himself a better chance to win the entire series, right? Because mathematically speaking, that's a game that has a lot of leverage, right? Having a 2-1 advantage almost always leads to having a 3-1 advantage. And once you're at that point, it's hard to lose another three games in a row to lose a best of seven series like that. But the Heat, what, what, what was interesting that translated from the first two games to the third game was the three-point shot. The three-point shot was on for Miami in game one. Same thing for the Bucks in game two. Game though. two, right. In game two, the Bucks were on fire from three, though. They couldn't they miss, could you know what I mean? Miss. Um, you know, Drew Holiday had four threes himself. You know, that guy, uh, that guy, Drew Holiday is a beast when it comes to offensive talents and skills. And Brooke Lopez, we've seen him kill the Heat over and over again. You know, before when he was a net, now as a buck, like this guy really does cause a lot of problems his, for us. His size, bro, his big, goofy size, and his, he's huge, and he's wide, huge he's, wingspan, he's a big, big presence. Yeah. yeah, you know, can really affect a lot of shots when it comes to the paint, protecting the paint, and he's been doing. Doing, um, you know, very well for the Bucks this this series. 
But game three, you know, was was the game where it was like, man, if if the Heat can shoot well, right, and and give themselves a chance to to be in it, right, to be in the game, keep it close, whatever the case may be, then then they would have obviously given themselves uh, a better chance at winning this game. And for me, like the whole game was impressive. You know what I mean? Like, you know, coming right out the gate, Jimmy has twenty four points in the court in the first quarter. Um, Breaking or tying yet another record of his, right, for playoff performances. On top of that, the rest of the team really did, like, just did enough. We haven't seen the emergence of a solidified second scorer for the Heat yet in this series, right? But what we've seen is little bits and pieces from random guys here and there that adds up to, like, that support. <laughs> All we keep doing is losing guys, dude. Yes, We guy. lost Tyler Hero, game one. Yep. Now game three, we lost Victor Oladipo. To a freak injury, dog. He's out. So, you know, Jimmy has no choice but to step up and do this. And yeah, we are getting support. But right. the question, I mean, I can't I can't help but to ask the question, like, how long can it last? And and more importantly, who can stay consistent in doing it? You know what I mean? And you know, we have to give uh Duncan Robinson his respect. You know, because in, in game two, he hit some big threes. He started off five or five, ended up with 20 points, uh, five or six from three-point land, made a, even had a layup, right? This dude made a free throw. Like, this dude has faced a lot of questions, adversity, uh, down talk, you name it, bad publicity. Like, Duncan's have gone through it all this season and even dating back to last season. But he really stepped up when we needed him. And in that first quarter, when, when nobody else could make a shot, Duncan was getting those assists from Jimmy, right? Because obviously Jimmy's slashing, going to the to the rim, getting to the to the basket, finding open guys. Duncan stepped up and hit the threes. You know, he really, and that's what we wanted to see from him. Like, don't go out there and play no, great no, defense. No, 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 no. That's not what we wanted to see from him. It's what we needed to see. One hundred percent. That's what you got paid for, homie. Yeah. So yes, it is reassuring to see that he he there there's still the remnants of his greatness there. Yeah, and he's been one of the best three point shooters not only in this series but in the NBA playoffs as a whole because of the efficiency that he's doing it at. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's a big big help. Albeit in spurts, like we were talking about, but it's a big help to a guy like Jimmy when you know that guy is doing everything defensively, offensively, even on the fucking bench, like coaching guys up. Like this dude is really going through it in order to give us the best chance to win. Thankfully for the Heat, we were able to dominate that first, that's that third game. And in the first half, you know, the the Heat really found themselves in a position where they could have just put the game away and keep the Bucks at bay. And even you gotta you gotta know that basketball is a game of runs, right? Like, yeah, you could be up twelve points, fifteen points, whatever at some point. But that other team that you're facing, they're gonna make a run at some yeah, point, right? Like, it, it, it just happens in basketball. Game three didn't happen for the Bucks. It didn't happen. Thankf- they, thankfully, because of the fact that we had no Jimmy Butler in that fourth quarter. Yes, he had thirty points through three quarters, but we saw him leave, and we were like, all right, are they gonna make a run here? Our defense kept us in that game and kept that separation. No, I, don't, I don't think they ever narrow, like close the gap really to give themselves a shot. Absolutely not. And they really did try, right? Because even before the half, they closed the, the lead down to, I believe, six or seven points. Same thing in the in the third quarter. They came out hot, really brought the lead down to like two or, two or one points and shit. And then the Heat's defense just showed up. And when I say the Heat's defense, it's from the guys that 
we expect the defense to be good from, right? Caleb Martin played really great defense game three. Uh, Kyle Lowry had a really good defensive game in game three. Even Kevin Love, you know, he took a couple of charges, um, set a, a bunch of great picks in order to free up Duncan, Bam, Jimmy. You know, Kevin Love did a great job of making his presence felt defensively, right? Bothering some of the shooters in the paint. And ultimately, the defense was the thing that kept us ahead because we had uh, 29 tip balls, forced 18 bucks turnovers, um, had 13 steals as a team. Like those are things that just point at Miami Heat basketball, right? Like uh, Pollo said it the other day. Shout out to the, to DP. Um, Pollo said it the other day, right? Like that's Heat basketball. When you play defense first, second, and third, and allow that to create your offense, and that's exactly what we got in the second half of Game Three. He were able to cruise into the fourth quarter um, comfortably, really uh, put the game away, even without a Jimmy Butler on the court. And it just helped them transition from off, from defense to offense. And we saw Kyle Lowry get some points off of that. Um, like I said, Caleb Martin played really well that game. He had 12 rebounds, uh, 12 points, 11 rebounds in game three, ultimately leading to a 121 to 99 victory for the Heat. And we got some pizza manana. And then after that game, it was like, well, Giannis is coming back game four. Right. Right. That was the all of the talk. They wanted to save Giannis so he could come back fresh and have some type of immediate impact in game four. And the way that game four started, it definitely felt like the Bucks game plan was working because Giannis came out and, and already had nine points in the first quarter, not only by himself, but also set up another six to seven t- points for his team where he was driving to the basket, kicking it out, getting an offensive rebound, kicking it out. They would reset, knock down a three. Drew Holiday would hit a three or uh, Brooke Lopez hitting a three. And that shit kind of killed us. And it killed the momentum that he had, albeit that Jimmy Butler had another great first quarter for us, right? 22 points in the first. Dog. He's averaging, I think, I believe it's 25 points or, or, or 23 points in the first quarter of this series. That's wild. For a guy who's averaging 30 plus points for the entire series, above 35 points, like... This dude is giving it his all. And we knew that as he fans, it's like, all right, this team is going to go as far as Jimmy goes. But we never know how far Jimmy can go until we actually see it. And, dog, game four, we saw it every single time. Like, Jimmy was not only the reason why we won that game, he's the reason why we were even in that game. You know what I mean? Because he made some really tough shots, really tough baskets. And even the three-pointers that he made, they were two of them were contested, and one of them was like in the flow of the offense where he's bringing it down after a turnover that the Bucks had. And even with all that, dog, we were still down at halftime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Jimmy's going all out. We're down, I believe, seven points. You know, down 11 points to start the fourth quarter after a rough third quarter where the, he only shot 29%. Uh, so at that point, you know, heading into the fourth quarter, you knew that the he would need... I don't want to say a miracle, but like they definitely needed some type of, I don't want, I don't know, like a kickstart, something to to really get yeah, the, the momentum sort of, going. Some sort of catalyst. Yes, thank you. That's a perfect word. Some type of catalyst in order to get the the momentum back on their side. And honestly, I think it was the defense yet again showing up for the Heat, right? Allowing their defense to turn into offense, to turn into fast break points, to turn into quick uh, um, advantages for the Heat where they are facing four on three, maybe three on two, three on one, and they're making the Bucks defend extra hard. 
it really rattled the Bucks, right? Because even on offense, their rhythm was thrown off before they were getting clean looks and, and getting open looks at the basket. Brooke Lopez fucking killed us that game. He killed us that game. You know what I mean? That guy was unstoppable. And like you said, his size in the paint is a problem for us. Whether we have Bam, whether we have anybody else on the court, it doesn't matter. He's really taking advantage of his size and his uh, mobility in the paint to continue to punish the heat. We withstood all of that, dog. We would stood a fucking triple double from Giannis and still pulled out the game. But it was only because Jimmy Butler broke records. Dog hit 56 you, I, points. Homie. I think you mean Hemi. Hemi? Hemi Butler. <laughs> We're gonna have to start calling him Hemi, dog. Well, it, you know, I said it in the chat, but this guy definitely needs a street named after him, dog. I'm thinking we renamed Calle Ocho, you know what I mean, and just name it Jimmy Butler Way. You know what I mean? Or Jimmy Butler Ocho. Something. Something. Like I had a Jimmy Butler. Something. Mm. Something. But like this dude is not only engraving himself into the historic books of this franchise, which has a lot of history in it. You know what I'm saying? You're talking about players like Dwayne Wade, Alonzo Mourning, Shaq, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, Ray Allen. Like big names have played here. Hall of Famers have played here. And this dude, Jimmy Butler, has not only taken on the challenge of living up to those standards, but exceeding them, dog. You know what it is to out to have a record over LeBron James for most points in a playoff game? Like, dog, we, and that's prime LeBron James that we had down here in those four seasons. Prime LeBron James. Yeah, but LeBron also had more of a supporting cast where True. He, he didn't need to drop 55. But True. he didn't have multiple instances where he dropped 40 because he needed to. Yeah, but look, even but, yes. Jim, but even Jimmy took that because he has seven 40-point games for yeah. the Heat now. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, again, when, when you're breaking records that are held by a guy named LeBron James, you know damn well that you're doing something really good and really rare, you know? Uh, dog. I'm at a loss for words for how impressive that performance was. And everybody that was in the chat, everybody that I spoke to um, about this game and this performance was like, yo, I've never seen anything like that. My brother, who doesn't watch sports anymore, <laughs> <Shut okay? up. laughs> I reached out to him and I said, did you watch the game? He goes, bro, I don't remember the last time I saw a Heat game, but this was the best Heat game I've ever seen in my life. It was that. He said that. I actually know. He said the last uh, great Heat game that he can recall was Dwayne Wade's epic performance where he came back and won us the game and stood on the, right, on the scorer's court. table and said, this is my house. Jimmy had a moment like that. He didn't get on the scorer's table, probably out of respect for Dwayne Wade. He still respects the fact that, you know, what Dwayne did. He for knows who built the house. Our franchise. But if he would have got up on that scorer's table and said, this is my house. I don't think there would have been anything wrong with that. Nah, I think Jimmy did it in his own way too, right? Saying this is my shit. You know, this is my shit. And and that that aggressiveness, that that confidence, that belief in himself was bro flying through my TV screen that I I even like got chills like looking at him like like dog. This man is feeling it times a thousand because he is on one. And yeah, Jimmy's impossible to stop when he's doing that, dog. Impossible to stop. That he had a 41 to 25 point quarter against the Bucks. Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter against the Bucks. After being down, like I said, 11 points to start the fourth quarter. So not only we were facing a deficit, we come back and push the lead up in the last two minutes of the game where it breaks down. And yeah, the, the, the Heat 
through timely plays, through really hard effort, through, you know, really good defense. They're able to not only get the lead from the Bucks, but keep the Bucks at at bay, you know what I mean? And keep them in check for those last two, three minutes. And I must say, one of the most important parts of this game was had by somebody not named Jimmy, and that was Caleb Martin. When he had that offensive rebound that led to him hitting another three, uh, I think it was about two minutes and 17 seconds left in the game. Uh, you know, the, somebody puts up the three. I don't know if it was Martin himself, but they put up the three misses. The ball is running. The going, ball is going out of bounds towards the heat bench. This dude runs across the court to dive to that ball, throw it back in bounds to Jimmy, who's right there, gets it right back from Jimmy on the side three and hits it right in Giannis's face to, to, to again, keep the lead and the momentum on the heat side. Those are hustle plays that, again, equal heat culture. You know what I mean? Like, you're not saying, I watched all of these playoff games, dog. You don't really see that between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Lakers. You know what I'm saying? You don't see the Suns diving for shit like that. You don't see, but you see the Heat players going at it for any type of loose ball because they know that every little d- detail is going to make the difference against a team like this. You know, yeah, it's great that we talk about the win and the victory and the records and all that shit, but we have to re- recognize also that like we're doing this against a number one seed, Milwaukee Bucks who was probably the best team in the NBA for their entire season. Some could argue the the Celtics, whatever. But this is one of the best teams in the NBA. There are no like, slackers on that team. Chris Middleton is a beast. Drew Holiday is a beast. We've talked about Brooke Lopez and his effect on the game. A beast. And like I said earlier, we withstood, withstood a Giannis triple-double. Like, that's not easy to do, dog. I'm pretty sure that guy has a really good record whenever he scores a triple-double. And he just took a playoff loss in a disheartening fashion, right? Because the way it went down was definitely a heartbreaker for the Bucs. You know what I mean? Because if we're feeling that emotion on the Heat side, you got to think about the opposite and how the Bucs are feeling like, fuck, we had that game and now we lost it. It was an amazing game. Honestly, one of the best Heat games that I've seen in a real long time. And... Man, I don't know what else to say, but pizza manana, dog. Nah, dog. It's it's a night and day difference between this current state of this Heat team, same team, but it, they're just it's a different mindset that they're playing with right now. It's it's win or go home. You yeah, know, the whole season it wasn't there. You know, we we've seen them lose close games, games they should have won. You know, yep. underperforming all year long. It, it, Jimmy's a whole different animal in the playoffs, and, and we've known that. You know, we've known that when the bubble, when he was exhausted, hanging over. We've seen the memes. You know what I mean? We've he, seen he, it. He leaves it all out there, and if anybody ever doubted that, he just proved that once again uh, on Monday night. But now we got a three-one lead on the Bucks mm-hmm. going back to Milwaukee. Do we close out the series in this next game, or does it take a couple more? I think it's very possible, dog. You know, and, and the reason why I say that is because it's what I talked about in the beginning when we were talking about the supporting cast. We don't know who's going to show up to be that supporting cast for, for the Heat, you know, which leads me to my BAM talk, which I'm about to get into. But any any given night, you can get an awesome night from Caleb. You can get an awesome night for Lowry. You can get an awesome night from Duncan. You can get an awesome night from Gabe Vincent, Strews, right? It just feels like those guys are realizing the severity of the moment, right? And stepping up and saying, this is not about me. This is not about the heat. This is not, I, I got to help this man right here, Jimmy Butler, do whatever I can do in order for us to win this game. 
Because if he needs me to die for that ball, I'm going to die for it. If he needs me to set this pick a little bit stronger and, and hold it for half a second, then that's what I'm going to do. That team <clears throat> looks completely different than what we saw throughout the regular season. You're 100% right. And it's perfect timing. So, which leads me to believe that we can win this game in Milwaukee on Wednesday night, 9.30. If Bam shows up, that's the key to this to this game for for me on 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 Wednesday is Bam going to show up and provide that real second help that second scorer type play for Jimmy Butler is he going to be able to do that <clears throat> we haven't seen it if anything we've seen Bam look timid scared unsure of himself no confidence in in his abilities Right. You know, it's bad when my old man is texting me like, yo, this dude is scared. Bam is scared of Brooke Lopez. He's scared of Bobby Portis. He doesn't want to take it on those guys. For my old man to have texted me that just shows me because he's obviously watched a lot more basketball than I have in my life. He can tell when somebody's playing scared. And Bam, and if you've watched the game, you can tell that Bam is playing timid, apprehensive, whatever the word you want to use. But for us to get that game five on the road, you're going to need Bam to step up. Now, I can't I, I can't shit on Bam too much because defensively, he's been there. Grabbing rebounds, he's making his presence felt uh, in the paint, right? Um, making Lopez work for points, uh, you know, making layups and attempts for anybody else difficult. He had a, a very good block on Giannis um, in the fourth quarter when they were trying to make that comeback. I think with like 47 seconds left. But we need Bam to do it on both sides because he has the ability and the Bucks are letting him shoot the ball. He averaged 20 points a game this season. against While shooting 50% from the field. Where has that been in the postseason so far? I know it's been only a few games. I mean, it's been more than a few games. Dog. We're talking about game five step coming up, dog. You know what I mean? Plus the two play-in. Plus the two play-ins, correct. You know what I mean? So he's had time to acclimate himself to this playoff energy, right? If, if the Heat are going to win this game on the road, it's going to be because of Bam. Obviously, Jimmy's going to do Jimmy, dog. Like, I don't even know why we talk about what to expect from Jimmy because we know what to expect from Jimmy. But if, if the Heat really do want to steal this game and steal this series in Milwaukee, it's going to have to be on the strength of Bam. Because then that allows everybody else to do the little bit, right, without having to score 15, 16, 20 points and just do their job. Going, I got an open three. I'm going to take it. I'm going to knock it down. Hey, no problem. Hey, I can get to the paint because there's doubling Jimmy or they're doubling Bam on, on the pick and roll. Cool. I'm going to get this layup and, and score it that way. That is the only way that I can see us having this type of game. Because let's be honest, dog. We can't expect Jimmy to score 56 points again, dog, or, or 50 point again, dog. Right. Like, you're asking a lot on the road. You know what I mean? So let's see. I really do think that the Heat have an excellent chance at winning this game five because the Bucks are backs against the wall. And sometimes when things don't go your way and you're down 3-1, that mental part of the game where it tells you like, dog, you ain't got no shot. Might as well just give it up. That can creep into an NBA team. And if it does, then the Heat will have an excellent chance to win this game. But in my opinion, we're going to need BAM. We're going to need Bam. Bro, even fucking Lowry, who's a guy we shitted on all season, right? Even he's had some type of contributions. He's made some threes. He had two important steals in game four um, in the fourth quarter. Like, 
he has some real good assists. Like he's doing the best that he can for the amount of job that he has. Right. It's not like we're asking him to do go out there and do a bunch of stuff. No, nah, do the little stuff. He's been doing that. Caleb Martin, same thing. He's been our most consistent bench player, in my opinion, uh, this year. We're, we're going to need Bam. We're going to need Bam to win game five. Wednesday night, 930. Plenty of time for them to get rest, run some extra plays, you know what I mean? Check some extra film, figure out a way to get Bam going early in the game so he can feel that type of rhythm and just go from there. If they can't get game five on Wednesday, then I definitely see them getting game six at home because the Heat know that that's their game seven and they're not going to let themselves fall short with an opportunity to close out the series at home. Spo won't let that happen, dog. You know what I mean? Like, Spo will re- reiterate to this team, like, hey, we need to get this win because if it's, if we don't, we're going home. You know what I mean? So, yeah, let's see if it gets to game six. I really feel confident about game five, but I, I, I really do think that it's going to be on the strength of Bam. Without Bam, I don't know, man. You're asking a lot from Jimmy to hit 45 points again and keep us in it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Let's see. Let's see, man. Wow. Pizza Manana is on fire lately, dog. <laughs> it's on fire lately. And you know what else is on fire? What's that? The Sports with So-So Heat Playoff Post Game Recaps, my boy. Got to work on that name. Yeah, it's kind of long, but hey, it is what it is. It tells you what it is. <laughs> it tells you what it is. And, and you know what? <clears throat> it's an immediate reaction to how the game has unfolded, right? Instead of just waiting for the podcast to come out, you get a quick 15-minute video of me just... Breaking down the heat game and, and, and giving you guys my opinion on, on what happened or what was the critical parts of the game. So make sure you guys are tuning in. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Hit that like button. Drop a comment. And let us know your thoughts on the game as well, man. It, we love to interact with, with our fans and our viewership. So head on over to that YouTube page. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Good blog. Thanks, man. I've been working on them. I like it. <laughs> oh, man. You, you know... I have to. I want to talk about the fight now because the fight between Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia this weekend. Because we both watched it obviously separately, uh, but it was such a, a hyped up fight. Everybody was in the building for it. Uh, tons of people that I know were making bets and side bets and group chats. No, I got my money on Tank. No, I got my money on Garcia. And for me, it was just like, dog, I ain't got my money on nobody. I'm just dying to see who wins this fight because the matchup was so. Perfect, right? It was a super fast, tall, skilled boxer versus a short, stocky, powerful boxer. Both of them who have knockout power. Both of them who have excellent boxing skills, excellent defensive skills. And one of those things we're going to give. And for me, the key to the fight was, you know, is Ryan Garcia going to be able to get his punches off in a manner without having to take that much damage from Tank because we know that Tank is very selective when he throws his punches and his combinations. And the fight started out that way, you know what I mean? Um, You had Ryan Garcia go out there and work the jab. Obviously, the first round was uh, pretty much a draw, right? Because both of those guys were still (laughs) filling each other out. No, not even. I would even argue you can give the first round more to to Ryan because he was pushing the pace. He was pushing the pressure in that round. And Tank was, you know, being being Tank, he was just kind of sitting there and like – Waiting for his shot, waiting yeah. for his shot. And in that second round, Ryan kept pushing the pace, and Tank got his first shot where he dropped him. And he landed that left hook flush, flush on Ryan's nose, dog. And it really caught Ryan by surprise. Um, I'm not saying that that's the reason why he got knocked down. I think the the punch itself was 
precise, perfectly timed, and he caught him so close to him that he was pretty much slipping into him. And when Gervonta caught him, it was like, yeah, that was right on the button. Of course, anybody's going down. Um, but you're right. Ryan was ahead on that uh, on the card at that point because he was pushing the pace of the fight. He was using his jab effectively. He was um, out-punching or out-throwing Gervonta Davis in, at that point in the fight. But you make one small mistake against Gervonta Davis, guess what? You're going to feel that punch, and you're going to probably touch the canvas. That's exactly what happened to Ryan. He yeah, felt that and, power and, and couldn't withstand and, it. And, dude, and, and Ryan, you know, great fighter. You know, it was a great, it was a great fight, I thought, in the end. Um, you know, but Ryan's 24, Tank's 28. You can see the difference. The inexperience, in that, in right? That fight, not not necessarily. Yeah, the, maybe the that's la- too strong. The inexperience, but more so the the more experience that Tank had, more real life situations where he's been in. You know, he had more of a mature approach. I thought, in the sense of like, he was more calculated, and Ryan was kind of out there. I guess like the press conferences and the beef and everything. He really felt like he had something to prove. True. And sure, he might have, you know, but at the end of the day, Tank approached it like like a professional in his craft, man. And and it looked like he was more in control of the game plan of, of what he was trying to accomplish out there. And, you know, he he hurt him. He hurt him multiple sure. times. He was hurt. And then we get down to the seventh round and there's an exchange and Ryan goes down. But wait, before we get to that, I wanted to ask you because I, I had been thinking about it and I, and I didn't include it on the show notes, but... And after the knockdown, right, you saw Ryan get a little bit timid, right, in round three, round four. Because he felt that power. He felt that power, right? So Javante was still in his game, which is that experience that you're talking about, right, where he's like, I'm going to stay patient because the shot's coming. I know I caught him, right, so I can catch him. I know the better shot is coming. And in that third and fourth round, Javante was bullying Ryan, right, walking forward, walking him down, like, kind of chasing him around the ring and Ryan kept his right hand up. He definitely didn't want to feel that power again and just didn't throw as much. He was very reserved. And then in the fifth and sixth round, you can see Ryan kind of getting his bearings again. Credit to him because a lot of guys would have felt that power and stayed down, number one, right? Credit to Ryan, got back up, finished the round and, and, and was willing to fight with Gervonta Davis. It's not like he just ran around the ring for the next four rounds or whatever, right? But in the fifth and sixth round, you saw Ryan kind of get his confidence back and start to throw a little bit more. And caught Gervonta Davis a couple of times in that dirty boxing, he right? T- he tagged him up. He, he got, tagged he him up, hit him with a couple him. of rights and shit. And I didn't expect him to to land those right-hand punches because I'm sure that Gervonta would have been aware of that. He was more looking for the left to, to be that punch. Right, but when you got that reach advantage on him, you know, you're, you're going to you throw enough with that kind of speed, you're going you're gonna to land a couple. You're going to land. It wasn't enough. It wasn't, dog. In that seventh round, like, you can tell that Gervonta felt the, the momentum shift in the fight and he just started to apply more and more and more pressure. And interestingly enough, before he knocked him down or ultimately knocked him out, he had landed like a really good left hook to the face, right? Stunned him, but Ryan was able to move back, kind of gather himself and, and keep moving. The body shot that he hit him with was so perfectly placed that everybody in the crowd and even people watching it on TV, right? They were kind of like, yo, that was just a whatever punch. How the hell did Ryan go down off of that? Literally hit him in the liver. You see Ryan kind of stay in it for a second. Grimace. Like, it hurt him, and then take another step back. And when he took that other step back, you could tell his body was failing him because his face, like, he still had his hands up and his 
wanted to go on, but the body was like, nah, 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 Papa, we need to take a break. And he said it himself, when he took that knee, he took that knee thinking, all right, let me catch my breath. Let me recuperate right here from this body shot, get back up and, and we'll go back at it. But again, it was so hard. It didn't look like it was a hard punch because it wasn't that close. But that's just how incredible Gervonta Davis's power is that he hit him from a good distance in the liver and completely shut down Ryan Garcia, got the KO that way. My only problem with the situation, and granted, I'm not a boxer. I don't take damage. I've never been punched in the liver by Tank Garcia. Please, Lord, don't let nobody punch me in the liver. Um, But, you know, being a fighter, you know, we expect more. I thought. I expected more. I, I just felt like I didn't even see an attempt for him to try to get up. Even when Tank was looking at him going, come on, get up. Let's do this. I didn't really see an attempt. I feel like he kind of threw in the white flag, you know, the white towel. He was just like, I'm down here and I think this is the end of it. I think I can't go on any further. Yeah. And I would, I mean, just, just a little, like give us a little something where you try and you come right back down. You know what I mean? Like show, like I felt like I didn't see that from him. And that was a little concerning to me. I mean, I think it was because of the, again, if we look at it in, in, in normal speed, right. It doesn't look like a vicious body shot. I had to watch the replay about four times before I so finally even, saw the actual blow. Thank you. And it know. wasn't it wasn't a wound up punch. No. It was a short, little, like perfectly timed jab right in right exactly in the money where you needed it to. Ryan takes two jabs, two protective jabs, as he's stepping back, getting distance, and immediately just dropped down to his knee. So you know that had to hurt. Absolutely. But just I mean, no matter how bad bro, unless you're unconscious and you can't get up, that's because you're unconscious. Make the effort, I think. I you think know? he wanted to make the effort. I really do think that he wanted to make the effort because you said it. Javante looked over him and was like, dog, you need to get up. You know what I mean? Because I'm sure Javante thought that it wasn't that bad himself. But Ryan's eyes were like, dog, I want to kill this guy. But he couldn't get up. The body was just like, hey, we're not moving right now. You know what I mean? And that's what it was, dog. Yeah, but- I get it. You know, like... If you're if you're that dog, maybe you want to see the dog in, in, in Ryan to get up and and possibly take some more damage, right? But I just don't think that a he could have continued. Obviously, the body was like, Papa, we're staying down here. You know what I mean? And B, I, I think he realized in, in that specific moment, like I'm outmatched. You know what I mean? Like I'm outmatched. I can give this guy my best and maybe even a little bit more than my best, and it's still not going to be enough to overcome the skills that this guy has. So it was kind of, I don't want to say a business decision, but like that's his brain working. Obviously, you know, we're talking about 10 seconds that's happening here while all of this is going on. His body's failing him. He's feeling immense pain. Probably can't even get up. Still conscious of, he still has another five rounds to go of this, right? And maybe he just knew that, man, my my body's not going to last. Stay and, And smart credit to him, bro, because a lot of people, bro, they probably would have got up and ended up getting destroyed and humiliated by Javante Davis. That's it's kind of whack, but for me, it's a smart way to go out because you know what? That rematch with Javante Davis is not completely off the books. You might get another shot at him, uh, and even for other opponents that you that you're facing down the line, you don't want to take unnecessary damage in a boxing match that you know you're not going to win. And I think it just came to a, a conclusion for him right then and there. It was like, bro, my body's telling me no. My mind is telling me yeah. But everything within me is saying you can't go on. 
You know, and uh, he wanted to. He said it after the interview. He wanted to, but Javante fucking said it, he, uh, bro. I touched him, and he felt that power, and it was a wrap. And that's why I had Tank finishing that fight <laughs> early, dog. I call, you know, I I said it last week. Um, you know, when we had Boy on the on the show, you know, I didn't see this going past nine rounds. You yeah. know, it happened in seven, yeah. even earlier than I thought. But you know, Tank finished him, and it's uh, crazy because he predicted him, the man. seventh. Yeah, right before the fight. Wild. Wild. Shout out to Javante Davis. And shout out to Ryan Garcia too, man. Like what these two gentlemen did for the sport of boxing is gonna be remembered in the history books forever, right? Because this could be the turning point for boxing to say, let's get back to that era where superstars fought superstars and the record didn't fucking matter. Whether you had one loss, zero losses, two losses, none of that shit matters. It all it, it all matters when you guys fight each other. Who's the best the night that you guys fight? And that's what these guys did, man. They put on a hell of a performance. Um, it was really a great fight between the both of them. Um, but it's just Davis's power is is too much for almost anybody in that division, which is crazy because now we got an even a be, an even equal super fight between Devin Haney and, and Lomachenko, Vitaly Lomachenko for uh, Haney's undisputed titles. I won in the lightweight division. That's coming up in May, May thirtieth. Now I I just expect to see fights like this happen every two three months. I want the best guy fighting the best guy who has the belts. I want the best guy fighting the best guy who's number one contender. I want the best guy who beat both of those guys to fight the best guy who won the other two fights. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's what we're going to start to see in boxing. We're going to start to see the best of the best fight each other. Even after the fight, a lot of rumors even started going around back about the Spence, uh, Errol Spence versus Crawford fight. You know, and Spence tweeting out like, dog, I'm, I'm, I need to get in on this because I, I can't continue to wait to make boxing shows because the money's not right. My promoter wants this. His venue wants this. No, we got to do stipulations. for hey, Fuck all that. Fuck all that. You think you're better than me? Let's get to it. And let's get in the ring and we're going to figure it out. And that's exactly what these guys did. Davis came on on top. Who knows what happens if they, if these guys meet again. Uh, and what weight class, right? Because Ryan's weight class is normally 145. He came down to the catch weight of 136, was weighing in at 140, and he didn't look normal. It didn't look like he had his power. It didn't look like he had his any of his strength. That weight cut or that weight clause was definitely an effect, a desired effect that Gervonta Davis wanted, and it worked. And he got the victory by knockout. Let's see what happens in this next fight versus De- Devin Haney and Lomachenko because I feel like the winner of that definitely faces Javante Davis, mm. which then sets up the fight between Crawford and Spence to go down, right? And then make a super fight with either the loser facing the loser of uh, Davis versus Haney or Lomachenko or the winners facing the winners. Like, it just creates a lot of possibilities in the boxing world to make superstars fight before the end of the year. You know, you can get at least two more superstar fights before the end of the year. I think that'll be amazing for the sport, man. It needs it. Yeah, it man. It definitely needs it, man. With the UFC, you know, doing its thing and organizations like Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship doing their thing. I mean, boxing needs to to do something to make sure that they're, you know, they're always the top dog. Absolutely, man. And and they can do it. You know, this fight has the foundation set up for future fights to continue to happen like that, man. And hopefully we get to see it. Uh, like I said, Devin Haney versus Lomachenko, May 30th. That's going to be a banger on the speed of title on the line, dog. Can't wait for that one. I cannot wait for that one, man. You know, we give the Marlins a lot of shit, Joel, dog. And when we talk about them, I feel like sometimes we don't give them the love or the the caring that they that they kind of want. 
But a lot of that is deserved because they don't go out there and win. They trade our best players. You know, they do stupid things like put a freaking statue in the middle of center field. You know what I mean? Like, they do a bunch of shit to piss the Marlins fan off. And you the know whole, that thing is still around, right? Yeah, they just move it to the outside. Right. Like, in the back where nobody really walks by. <laughs> Smart decision by them. It's not the centerpiece of our home run celebration anymore. Thank God. But, like, all we wanted as Marlins fans, dog, is to, to have a competitive team. To go out there and put a product on the field or on the TV where we can enjoy what's happening. We don't expect these guys to go out there and win every single game, right? But we expect them to be competitive. And that's what I think we are seeing this this season, albeit early season, right? But that's what I think we're seeing from the Marlins. They're 12 and 11 on the season, um, just coming off back-to-back losses. One against the Philadelphia, uh, no, the the... I think they lost the last game to the Cardinals. No, what am I saying? The Guardians. And then they lost to Atlanta to start the four-game series against them. But prior to that, they've won three of their last series. They faced the Philadelphia team. That's really good. Spent a lot of money. Beat them. Faced the Arizona team. That's pretty good. Has some real good major league talent. Won that series. Faced San Francisco coming in from the West Coast at home. Won that series. I can't remember the last time the Marlins won three series in a row, dog. You know what I mean? And, and, and this is coming from a guy who's kind of into stats, likes the Marlins, and pays attention to them from time to time. These guys, I can't remember the last time these guys won three series in a row. I don't remember the last time we started off the season over 500 like this. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, it's granted, not a, we're only one so, game over, but I mean, usually we're four or five, six games behind. Correct. Through this point of the season, through 20 point, you know, twenty games or whatever. Correct. And you know what? I, I think back to what Boyle was saying, right, uh, on the last episode, where he said that the pitching is going to stand out for us. And it's really been the case. Um, you know, even the closer, A.J. Puck, he's come in and made a huge difference. A huge difference. He has four saves on the season, no blown saves on the season. Um, Something we had a problem with last year. A huge problem that cost us a lot of games and cost Sandy a lot of games, right? Because there were games where he pitched great and we ended up blowing the game in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Now we have a, 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 a what it seems to be like a certified closer in A.J. Puck. 1.00 ERA so far on the season. Uh, nine strikeouts, only has two walks. Again, four saves. None of them have been blown yet. This guy has really solidified what we've been able to do in the bullpen. And those are, if you look at the scores that the Marlins games are, that they're winning, it's four to two, three to one, five to three, where, where they're getting a lead in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and they're holding on to it, bringing in this guy, bringing in the holder, and getting the victory. That's why we got to 12 and 11, which normally, like you said, we'd be, what, 6 and fucking 11 or 17 right now, some shit like that. Just looking completely disarrayed, no type of momentum, no type of team uh, chemistry. No, con- no consistency. No consistency. But we, are, we have that right now on the pitching side. Even with Lozardo. Lozardo has been killing it. Even though he has a 3.62 ERA right now, he also has a 2-1 record, 32 strikeouts on the season. Being our, our established Best pitcher right now because Sandy has been off to start the season and he's getting back into form. The pitching working itself out was something that we didn't see coming through, right? Like we knew we were going to get good stuff from Sandy. We Everybody else was the question mark. And it seems like so far this season, the question mark is not really warranted when it comes to the pitching stuff. And to, you know, compliment that we've gotten some really good timely hitting, you know, uh, yeah, uh, what's his dude's name? Uh, Luis Arez. He, yeah, he's been killing him. 
has a 444 batting average right now, leading the majors, uh, 32 hits, you know, still in batting champ mode. He's been outstanding for the Marlins, right? And we usually have that one player that's doing really well and nobody else is doing good. No, but Jazz is right behind him, batting 362. Doing doing a great job so far as far as the plate goes. Still learning the position of center field and still getting accustomed to that. It's but not, he's doing fine. But he's doing fine, right? And, uh, you know, Jorge Soler, leading the team with five home runs. That's a guy that we were like, man, this guy needs to have a 20-run home run season at the very least. And for him to have five already in these 23 games and being in w- one of the leaders for RBIs on the team is really important because it, it provides some type of stability to that offensive lineup. But we're still missing there, bro. For instance, just you know, yesterday, by the time you're hearing this two days ago, in that game, first game against Atlanta, we were hitless through the first seven innings yeah. of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took a, a single, I think, by Segura in the yeah. seventh or eighth inning to get us our first hit. Yep. How? Why? Sometimes we don't have it. I I, I just think that they're gonna struggle with the Not consistency. Not a single hit. Yeah, dog. They're gonna struggle. Seven innings. They're gonna they're gonna struggle through throughout the season as far as the consistency and hitting. But that's because it, it could be a factor of things. But I think a lot of that has to do with the lineup, right? Like who's batting in what position, right? You can't expect Jazz and 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 Luis to go out there and get all the hits. Other people have to step up and get some timely hitting, too. We saw earlier in the season, right, in the first two, three weeks, Gary Cooper was killing him, and he's leading the team with 11 RBIs. He and has, we saw it last year from Gary Cooper. Yes. You know, we need we need to make sure that he's he's healthy. Correct, because <laughs> when he plays, he plays really well, and he, and obviously being a left-handed bat um, helps a lot for this team, right? Just Just continue to figure it out. The Marlins, all I really want them to do is continue to figure it out, you know, because if if they can withstand this type of commitment to staying consistent, then this season is going to be a success for them, right? They're going to end up above 500. They're going to end up, you know, necessarily not in the wild card spot, but definitely in the wild card hunt, right? Like five games with back or four games back, whatever. And then we get Sandy to roll around and, and pick up some wins for us. That way, match him up with Lazardo. Uh, AJ Puck continues to do his thing. And the team has something that they can build on. And you said it in the last episode. Maybe that can lead to a trade, right? Where they bring in an extra bat, bring in an extra, an extra pitching uh, prospect or something like that. But for me, as a Martins fan, I'm sure you feel the same way and everybody listening, like, just make it entertaining. And lately, it's been entertaining. When the Marlins lose, they're getting smoked out. But when they win, they're putting up runs, they're putting up big hits, and they're making great defensive plays. And if you're watching the games, whether at home or in, uh, in the ballpark, you're getting your money's worth, dog. Albeit it's a cheap ticket, but you're getting your money's worth, right. dog. You know, no, from this Marlins team. And it's good, you know, to see that, you know, Skip Schumacher, first year, you know, manager for the team, you know, we just lost Mattingly, who <clears throat> is the winningest, you know, Marlin, I think, that we've had. Correct. Um, or manager that we've had for the Marlins or whatever. And what did he really accomplish? You know, aside from that one little season where he made it to the postseason with, you know, and, and during the pandemic and whatnot, right. Mattingly didn't really accomplish a whole anything, lot, you know. And so far, you know, it's, it's reassuring as a fan, you know, only a month into the season, you know, to see, you know, brand new manager, but he, he seems to have a cohesive unit for the most part, you know, True. at least they're going out there and they're, they're playing to win games and, and it's looking good right now. So, I mean, the, we can't worry about anything else. We know our division is stacked. True. We know the rest of the division, you know, is going to be coming for us. But we got to worry about what we can control. And what we can control is how we go out there and play night in and night out. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, 
and I think you're right. You know, like Schumacher is doing the best that he can, right? It's, it's not easy being a first-time manager, uh, replacing a legend like Don Mattingly. Even though he didn't win a lot down here, he's still a, a Hall of Fame coach, somebody who commands, respects, right, in, in, the, in the clubhouse and is going to hold players accountable. I just feel like the Marlins are responding to Schumacher, right? Like, they, they look like they're having fun. They look like they want to play hard. They look like they want to play for the manager and each other, which is what we really want to see. And that's the base foundation or the most basic foundation that you would want when you're building a baseball team, right? You want to make sure that there's camaraderie between the team, that there's, you know, no personal issues or I don't like this guy. This guy is doing this or he, this guy you doesn't take a You don't need that, bro. Pitch. When you're trying to win a championship, that's the last thing you need is toxic environments. Exactly. And if the Marlins can find a way on the shoe marker to build a, a healthy atmosphere in the locker room, then it's going to bode well. And we've seen the results so far this season. It's already been our best start to a season in the last five years. You know, in the last five years, this has been the best start to a season that we've had. And uh, it can continue. They're playing tonight as we record. Uh, you got Hoeing, uh play- Yes, that's his last name. Hoeing's pitching against uh, Morin for the Braves. And then on Wednesday, by the time you guys are hearing this, uh, you got Alcantara trying to get his first win of the season and go out there and dominate the Braves. You know, and the cool shit is that when the Marlins have played at home, they've done really well. You know, on the road, it's been a little bit of a struggle. But when they've been at home, man, they've been playing really well. And we're going to have a good home uh, stand coming up. We got three games against the Cubs and then another three games uh, against the Braves. Um, obviously, we'll break that, that down more as, as we come or we'll get closer to that. But this this series against the Braves is going to be a, I don't want to say a telltale sign, but it's definitely going to be something to look at and be like, can they hang with a team that's as good and as talented as the Braves? The Braves always got our number. Dog. Always got our number. That's why we hate them. That The Mets, we hate the Mets. We hate Philadelphia. Like We hate those teams because of how good they are and how much you know a challenge it is for us to, to play them and, and to ultimately beat them. Let's see. I, I just want them to continue to win series. You continue to win series, then that's going to put you well above 500 and it's going to keep you in some type of wild card race. Like I said, you don't need to be leading the wild card, but damn it, be in that little picture, (laughs) be in that little picture when ESPN and MLB Network show it. In the hunt. In the hunt. Marlins right there. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I watch. You know what I mean? Keep me entertained. And so far, the Marlins have done that. Can't complain about that, man. Um, before we wrap up, we got to talk about something else that was entertaining this weekend. We were at BKFC 38, live at the Hollywood Hard Rock and Casino, uh, where we saw that be that uh, wing face off against Daniel Strauss. And in the main event, and we saw another co- uh, the co-main event between Bru- uh, Jake Brutal Bostwick versus Isaac, the Honey Badger Doolittle, Doolittle. And both of those fights were just amazing. I mean, all of the fights were badass, right? Like, we saw some wars out there, dog, and some nasty knockouts. Shout out to Renee Whiteboy, um, representing Hialeah. Hialeah champ. Yes, sir. And big HD, win. dog, representing Broward County, dog. HD had a big win. It Justin was, uh, had a, his his <laughs> debut event as well, dog. It was, uh, there was an interesting night, man, a lot of good fights. Yes, there sir. were some controversial moments, some could say. Yes. Um, you know, including, like, those last two fights, you know, the the last fight between Strauss and, and, and uh, Wynn, where 
Uh, it went to the overtime. Overtime when nobody knew. Like we were like, wait, what? Like what is happening here? Um, and then the fight before where we thought it should have gone to overtime, it didn't. It ended up in a draw altogether. So yeah. like there was a little bit of controversy there, but all around, great product. I mean, we're we're all in on the BKFC. Anytime they're here in Florida, especially at the Hard Rock, we're out there. We're gonna yeah. be out there. We're gonna be covering it. And shout out to you, man. We got some good uh, sound bites, some good uh, post post fight interviews. interviews with some of the guys, man. I saw that on the channel this weekend. Hell good yeah. Stuff. Hell yeah! If you haven't, if you if you haven't heard about BKFC or Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, like A, you're sleeping. B, you need to go check them out right now because when they put on these cards, man, they're super exciting. Every every fight that we saw on Saturday night or Friday night was exciting. Like there wasn't one fight where I was like, ah, let's go get a drink or let's go. I'm gonna go use the restroom. I was like, nah, I'm gonna wait for this round to be over. I'm gonna run to the bathroom and then I'll run right back. Uh, but yeah, that that extra round between Strauss and and Win was was weird right because we saw the crowd get up like people started people people were kind of leaving and shit and then i saw Luis palomino who is the reigning middleweight champ correct for bkfc um and this guy is a dog i mean if you've seen palomino fight me legend you know you know what you're gonna get but i saw he actually shared on his on his instagram that he had scored the fight three two in favor of strauss Mm. And he thought that there was no need for it. He thought Strauss won the fight, but I, I don't know, man, because that was putting on that pressure on, on on Strauss that whole fight. He was, you know, he looked even though he had come back off after you know an eighteen month hiatus or whatever right. it was, sixteen month hiatus. Boy, didn't miss a beat, man. He was pressuring Strauss the whole time. He hurt him. He had him hurt. Don't don't get me wrong. Strauss Push also also got his in, but I, I I didn't think it was that clear cut that Strauss won that fight. You no. know, no, I agree in, in with you. Sense. I agree with you. When I, when you know you and I were talking about it, obviously while the fight's going on, and and one of the main things that we shared was like, man, that's really pushing the pace. You know, that win was really pushing the pace pushing the action, um, really working the inside, right? Working the body, slowing down Strauss. And it looked like Strauss was just allowing himself to, I don't want to say get hit, but like just allowing that to work without returning any punishment. Once they got separated and he had some space, he did land a couple of jabs. He did land a couple of uh, crosses and some rights, but it wasn't enough. I really thought that that won that fight. He deserved to win that fight uh, because of the, the pace and the, you know, the forward movement that he was initiating throughout the whole fight just looked like he wanted it more and, and went out and got it. So shout out to that win, uh, that be that one of the great fucking nicknames in BKFC, man. Um, and it was an impressive victory. Shout out to Strauss. Like, like we talked about coming off that, that lay, layover from being in Bellator and, 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 you know, fighting BKFC. It's not easy. You know, because it's definitely a different type of fight. And it looked like that experience in bare knuckle definitely gave him the edge and ultimately won him the fight. I wanted to ask you, though, who did you think won the co-main event between Jake Bostwick and Isaac Doolittle? That's tough, man. That's a tough, tough. one. I, I needed to see another round. Yeah. Because Bostwick was a beast, bro. But the Honey Badger, he just kept coming, bro. There's a reason he's got that nickname. They don't call you the Honey Badger for no reason. For sure. And I think and that's, that's a fight that, like, could be a main event, like, fight. And, like, re, like let's run that back ASAP. As soon as those guys are good again, whether it's six months or whatever, like run that back. 
because that was a fight, right? That was probably a, a more interesting fight than the Strauss and, and win fight, Absolutely. if I'm being honest. Absolutely. The intensity in that fight was was through the roof, you know, and it ultimately won fight of the night. Deservedly so. Both of those guys put on a fucking hell of a performance. You know what I mean? I think what made the difference in that fight, and we kind of talked about it that night, was the knockdown. When, they both knocked each other down. Yes, but... Boswick got knocked down early. The early one is what I'm talking about. When Boston went down, I feel like that 10-8 that round kind of gave that extra point to, to Isaac to kind of keep him, you know, ahead on the cards. But then, boom, in the fourth round, we see uh, Jake put on an amazing performance, really go out there and push the pace of the fight and knock Isaac down himself. And then in that fifth round, it was like, both of these guys are like, all right, we're going to stand right here. You're going to punch me. I'm going to punch you. And one of us is going to win this fight. And when they when they called the fight a unanimous draw, I was like, damn. I felt like they both got robbed, right? Because one of those guys deserved to win the fight. Right, in my opinion, I had Jake winning the fight by very little margins, very, very little margins, right? And I'm not a scorecard guy, you know, I'm not a, a judge or anything like that. So, and I wasn't that close to the ring to, to really give my opinion on that. But I thought that Jake won that fight by a slim margin. Whoever would have been named the winner would have justifiably won that fight, dog, in my opinion, because nothing really separated the two. And I guess that's why they went with the draw, but. I just felt like one of those guys deserved to to win that fight, and I really do hope that they run him back a lot sooner than later. Yeah, considering what they did in the final night, in the final fight with the overtime, like they yeah. should have. That's what exactly they should have done. Hey, Hell the judges yeah. score this an even draw. The fighters have agreed to to another round. We're gonna go another two minutes here. Yeah. That would see what happens, bro. This is this, this is the deciding round. Forget everything else that happened. Either, <laughs> this there's, is a, it. either there's a knockout or we're really going to score it. And if we can't score anything else but equal, then at that point, all right, cool. Draw right. is cool, but like right. we did everything our, in our power. Right. And at least you give these guys an opportunity, right, to to put it into their own hands and, and, and not let the judges decide, right? But ultimately, it was a great night. Uh, if you haven't, Already go checked out all the post-fight interviews. Uh, they're pretty short, two, three minutes. Um, something you can guys can go watch and enjoy and just kind of get the thoughts of what it is to be a BKFC fighter, man. You know, uh, when we talk to, um, Steven Town, Townsell, shout out to Steven. Tomahawk. The Tomahawk. He, he said it, you know, like not everybody's built for bare knuckle fighting and it takes a different type of boxer, fighter, whatever you want to call it to go into that arena, into that ring and, and feel that, that power and, and not only take it, but dish it out as well. So shout out to all the guys who performed that night. Uh, the prelims were fucking on fire too. We got there early and we got to watch those as well. Um, man, BKFC is definitely growing. Definitely an exciting sport. We noticed that it was a much more packed event than the last one that we and went every to. Every time we go, there's it, more and more people. More and more out. people, man. It's and amazing. They keep doing these cards. I mean, this Friday, bro. This Friday, they got... Oh, my God. Um, they got... Um, Chad Mendez, Alvarez fighting. You well, got... Uh, Platinum Mike Perry, Platinum is, the Perry main, is the main event. But fighting they also Luke got, Rockhold. And they got Ben Rothwell on that card as well. Yep, like they, they, got, yep. they got a pretty good card coming up this Friday night, too. So they're putting out a good product, man. They're definitely building up their roster and their and their, and their teams. Um, and it's exciting, man. I definitely won't miss one here. Absolutely. me. We won't. We definitely won't, man. Make sure you guys are tuned in to BKFC. Follow those guys on Instagram. Check them out. Watch the fights this, week, this weekend, this Friday. It's going to be worth it. Trust me, your boy Soso is putting you on right now. You can't say I didn't tell you, man. Uh, but I guess it's time, Joel. 
It's time to tell the people to tell a friend. To tell another friend. To tell one more friend, fool. To tell everybody they know. To tell everybody that knows them about this amazing podcast and how you guys have to go to our YouTube page, hit the subscribe button, drop a like or drop a comment on our latest video, hit the like button and share that, man. It's the only way that you guys can show us some love on social media and, and really help us out and help us grow the show, man. Yeah, it doesn't cost you anything, but it means the world to us. Yeah, absolutely, man. And drop a five-star review there while you're at it. And until next time, y'all. Peace. Peace.